0: Hey, sis! It's a weekly shakedown of the binary walls around us.
1: Breaking it out and building a bridge.
0: Checking our biases with empathy and humility and
2: questioning the status quo. It's
1: about building allyship that is intentional and confident.
2: Uh, I opened it up not really quite comprehending what I was reading. Um, We do get spam come in, so my first thought was maybe it was that. But the first line really caught my attention um, where it said addressing all Canadian teachers. Um, So I continued to read on. And as I read, I just became more and more infuriated that somebody in our profession could so blatantly go against human rights.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Hey Sis. You just heard the voice of Kelsey, a Nova Scotia primary and grade one teacher reacting to an email that came into her inbox this past week and we're going to hear more from Kelsey's reaction a little bit later in this podcast.
0: So today we're going to be joined by uh, a few different uh, people from around the province and in Ontario with response to this email around the group tragic that is looking to attract attention from teachers Canada wide. And we're really excited to be hearing from Tristan with P Flag York Region and who'll be talking to us on behalf of PFLAG and PFLAG Canada. We have uh, two parents from within the Nova Scotia region. We're gonna have a reaction from a teacher who was also um, teaching within the elementary school system here in Nova Scotia. So firstly, let me introduce Kathy. is from the Halifax area and a parent of three boys. When her youngest son came out in 2016 as transgender, it was a blessing and a welcome answer to questions they had been seeking for years. Kathy says her family could not have made it through six years of struggle prior to this without the help and support of his teachers, principals, and his mental health team. The support of those folks in the school system are one of the main reasons Kathy's son is still with us today, and she knows the value of having teachers and school staff who are an education or educated on how to help and willing to help and support students through some of their most challenging times in life. Welcome, Kathy. We're also going to be joined with Megan. Megan, uh, she, her pronouns, is a registered nurse with 12 years of experience working in pediatrics and a student in the Masters of Nursing program at Dalhousie University. She is a mother to eight-year-old twins, one of which is a proud transgender girl, Brie. Brie is socially transitioned in grade one, and her peers were very supportive of her, thanks to her amazing teacher, Madame Kelsey. We're going to hear a response from Madame Kelsey later on in this podcast episode. And Megan is grateful for the wonderful support of her teachers, friends, family, and the trans community over the past two years, and is very proud of her family. Welcome, Kathy and Megan and Tristan. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You're very welcome. So why don't we just start by yesterday, an email came into inboxes um, to teachers across Nova Scotia and likely beyond and uh the email was focused around uh rallying uh teachers uh within particular geographical areas to form together and be able to create change uh at the board level um change that would diminish uh, any kind of education around gender identity within the school systems and um focused mandate um, around um, preventing the indoctrination of their children into the LGBTQ. Um, it's harmful. It's enraging. It's, it's emotional on so many different levels. And uh, we just wanted to uh, get some information and, and unpack it together. Absolutely. Yeah,
3: yeah. I I honestly, when I read it, I didn't have very many words. Well, I had words, but I won't say them, what they were, <laughs>
4: I might end up saying them. I'll be honest.
0: <laughs> you can say them here. We're not under any kind of broadcasting <laughs> restrictions. But uh, yeah, it, it's infuriating. Why don't um, Kathy? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you felt when you first when you first read the email and and what your re- reaction was um, between yourself and your family?
3: Well, a lot of it, um, you know, when I read it, it it comes. You can tell that it comes from people who've not experienced anything themselves probably and would not be open to it necessarily when it happens I hope if and when it does they would be um, but one of the things that I guess hit me at the very beginning was you know some of their first lines about opposing exposing exposing children of any age to the harms of gender ideology you can't this is life this is the way the world is We are not the same people. Diversity is the world. It just is that way. And to be honest, if my son hadn't been able to talk to people and speak to people and people knew what to do and how to help him, he would have been harmed so much more than by not having any of that, you know, people around him with that type of education and ability to talk and help to him. Because... You know, we were a family when when he told us that he was transgender, um, he also let us know that the school knew, the psychologist knew, and his friends knew for about a month or so. People had been calling him by a different name. And I'll be honest, that hurt at the beginning. Uh, I was really upset that we had been going through this struggle and the psychologist knew what was going on and didn't talk to us about it. But in retrospect, it was the best way. And having teachers in school and principal, I mean, I can't describe to you the support he had, it was phenomenal. Um, And all of those people know, because we've made sure that they understood what they did for our family. Um, Without them, and without the ability to have that free communication with them, without us, with my husband and I not knowing it made the difference. It sometimes is the way it has to happen in order for the kids who are going through this to get through it.
0: Kathy, how how, how old would you say um, your child was when they began confiding in um, their peers and within the school system?
3: So I, we started having anger issues is how it started in grade four, grade five, when he was about 10. And I don't, you know, we've talked about it. I don't think he really knew everything that was going on. It was very much a journey and figuring this out or figuring that out. But he was about, uh would have been about 15, uh, 15 and a half when he first started, I think, realizing what was going on and confiding in others about being transgender in particular. Um I will say that there was other stuff that I know the doctors, the psychologists, the psychiatrist had information about as well prior to that when he was younger, because that's still the law. Unless he's going to harm himself or others, they get to keep it there. And like I said, that day I was hurt. I was so upset that they had let us what I call suffer, not knowing what was going on, but it had to be that way. And it was the best way. And, and I agree with it. And that
0: would really speak to the idea of that if the education around gender identity started earlier in school and children were given that language earlier in school, yep. there wouldn't be that shame sometimes or that, that scared Terrifying feeling of, of that something is wrong with you. And that is exactly why I think a lot of children first do confide in peers and within the school system because they're so afraid that their parents may reject them. Um, because as parents, we haven't grown up being taught about gender identity. We, we missed the boat there, didn't we? So. Well, and,
1: uh, if I can jump in there really quick, one of the biggest things too is that is exactly what you know we've been saying a lot is that it's all based on language if they don't have the words to use to describe how they're feeling then it's this feeling of okay I don't know who I am how do I expect other people to know and understand what I'm going through and then kids get scared to approach adults as authority figures to be like this is how I'm feeling because they don't have the words to describe that feeling so if they mess it up or say something wrong they feel like even though there might have never been negative repercussions for something like that, internally, there's still that anxiety there um so yeah, just huge breach of like confidentiality if a school system just kind of going back to the email that was sent out because it was written very clearly in it that in their i don't know their 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 great plan to eradicate the I don't know queer agenda in youth <laughs> um That uh, there should be basically no confidentiality for youth, which, in my opinion, just furthers that divide between being able to have those safe spaces and being able to develop the language on your own terms instead of being forced to confront it head on with your parents and authority figures.
5: Yeah, and just expanding on that a little further, when you talk about uh, giving children the language, just as uh, my child was given the language that she needed to express herself and thrive uh in the email it it makes it sound like you're going to indoctrinate children when you give them the language which is backwards uh and ridiculous to be honest but um uh, in instead of looking at it that way what we should be looking at it is uh that we're we're giving them the language we're not turning them transgender we're giving them the language to express themselves so
4: yeah where these individuals are really failing is educators and you know they call themselves tragic what I think is really tragic is uh, you know they're really not they, they're not embodying their their role as educators they they are looking through um, these issues with a personal lens in, instead of a lens of reality and the world that we live in and education is about preparing our younger generations for the world uh, as they go into it and that's and a part of that is to give them the tools to describe themselves and to learn you know how they fit into the world and to give them those words and that language and how to understand the feelings that may be happening within themselves and you know to call that indoctrination just really rejects any reality and any research or any basis that uh that has come about over the last two years and it's really just from a place of ignorance and from a place of bigotry at that point
5: uh, What was really upsetting to me whenever I started digging into who this person was that sent this email out of Quebec uh, claiming to be a teacher, uh, though that needs to be verified, is that uh, she's tied to these networks that claim to be feminist. And I'm sorry, but you're not a feminist if you don't understand oppression. And that's the basic (laughs) baseline (laughs) of understanding feminism. And I, I just was so bothered by the fact that they try to use it that way um, and just in the completely wrong way using language that uh, is is from critical feminism and and, um, to do harm. It's just so wrong.
1: And exactly to Megan's point, like that she continues to reiterate, you know, protecting girls' dignity and stuff like that. And I just... I, I have no words for that because it's it's so counterproductive to what so many organizations, to what so many people are doing. And just on the note that she isn't Nova Scotian, she isn't even Atlantic Canadian. So why is she coming from a very outside, both ge- geographically and clearly uh, ideologically? perspective coming outside of where we are and where we've grown is to try to kind of take away the growths that we've made in our community. I find that extremely offensive personally. That
3: that dignity comment really got me, Isaac. Um, and if you look on the website, I think Megan's referring to, you know, it's right there at the, at the beginning, at the top that they say there's no, um, you know, they want to protect the female spaces and sports. I mean, number, it's beyond, but when you look up what the word dignity means, because I went to the definition, I looked it up, it means having something to do with the state or quality of of being worthy of honor or respect. Well, dignity has nothing to do with who's going to be sitting in the, or standing in this washroom stall next to you there. It has more about allowing people to be who they want to be and letting them live freely as who they are. I'm, the arguments and the comments that I found to Megan when I did some searching were just it was just ridiculous you know it was all about the fear of the washrooms and I mean they're easy to be picked apart right they and are
5: the, um, like the basis of feminism let's say uh, at it's very core it's subscribes to social constructionism so you'd have to completely delete the fact that everyone has their own reality and their own truth and can speak their own truth in order to follow any of that agenda and it's just absolutely ridiculous I mean I think you know we're living in 2021 here we know that there's many many truths and perspective is a reality and so that's just one version of life that that, uh, these folks are or commenting on, but they're doing it in a way that I don't even know if they realize the harm that they're going to cause doing it. And my biggest fear when I read that email was this is going to embolden uh, some educators that don't understand or have been worried about these things or, and require education to understand them. And so uh, that was that was my worry. The email just being sent at all causes some level of harm. Besides the reaction that it gave a lot of us and teachers alike, it was like a punch to the gut. You know, it's very personal. It's very painful. Somebody trying to deny your existence.
0: Um, It's true. And Tristan can probably speak to this as well with both of our involvement with PFLAG. Um, we would come, uh, we would come in contact with parents and caregivers of trans and non-binary youth. And then through the work of Simply Good Form, I come in contact with teachers all the time that You know, they just, they just need the information and they haven't been given the information and they don't know where to find it. And there's a lot of fear in the beginning. And there is that idea of like, but what if they change their mind? And what if it, you know, like it is an ideology, which in fact it it is not. And once you can have these proper, you know, fact-filled conversations, um, without judgment, people always react with that. Oh my gosh. Now I get it. And I can't unlearn that now. I know it. Um, and like with the group itself, the name I will just kind of say, cause we said it's tragic, but it's teachers resisting all gender ideological, ideological <laughs> curriculum. But I mean, the whole thing of throwing around ideology, like, you know, it's like, well, no, gender identity is, it's, it's
5: scientific fact, you know, it's not binary. And so it would but be- But what they don't, they think they're not teaching gender already? Like from the time you're born, you're exposed to gender normativity. Your entire life, and for the rest of your life. So you teach it. You teach it every day in the actions and the role modeling that you do. So to deny that you don't already teach it, I mean it—it it re- makes me realize how small-minded we're talking here. Uh, doesn't like they clearly don't understand basic cognition.
0: Yeah, I'd love to hear Isaac what what it was like for you when you were in school, because I know like with my kiddo, it was really only when a teacher introduced a book featuring a trans character that he was given that language to kind of go that light bulb moment to go, this is how I've been feeling my whole life. So kindergarten to grade five, to the end of grade five, they've effectually been erased, feeling like there's something wrong with them. And then they're given the language. And I do remember at the time, shamefully, again, I was in that boat that both my husband and I were like, why are they teaching this? What, what are they, are they going to influence? Like we had those conversations of like, where is this coming from? Because we were just, we had no idea. Um, and we were just so lucky that we were able to find the right information. I'm good at resource and filtering through fact versus fiction and and that. But, you know, for so many kids that are being educated, if you don't have the trust, if you don't have those educators there that are informed and, and able to have conversations in a comfortable way,
3: you know, you're, you're doomed. Um, And I think too, with kids, um, because we've experienced this in our family, you need the educators there with the information because the families are often not going to have it. And sadly, you know, there's several friend situations of his that it just breaks my heart where they're at, you know, because their families can't understand it, can't accept, can't continue to have them in their lives. And it's challenging. And I'm not trying to say that we need to be. The teachers to be the parents but you go look at a lot of situations and teachers are responsible for in some cases a lot more education of the kids than the families and the parents can give an offer so you you've got to have them with the information that is you know the truthful factual information not the fear-mongering information.
1: Yeah. And the fact that, you know, eight hours of the day, a child is with a teacher and that is a lot of time to be in, you know, trying to like make an impression on a, on a young youthful mind. So there's so much there, you know, like just aside from ideological things, just, you know, the way people act as Megan was saying, just like social norms and gender norms, things like that. Those are all learned behavior from watching and mimicking what adults and people in authority positions do. So I find personally one of the most troubling things, um, about this is just the manner in which she approached it. It wasn't, uh, let me post on Facebook or let me post on Twitter or a social media platform. That's the very out there. She very much like approached people in a very intimate, quiet manner where it'd be very difficult for people to rebut that. Um, so it puts a lot of the pressure on like us as like social individuals who are seeing these things to comment on it, because a lot of these teachers might not have the information or feel comfortable to be like, okay, this is not okay. Or they feel like they don't have the ability to just based on their position. Um, and it's just, you know, if my, within my experience, um, it really mimics a lot of, very much like hate group mentality where they find individuals who may or may not have a lot of education. And I don't mean education as in like a PhD or master's degree. I mean, education on gender issues, social issues, queer issues, things like that. They approach people in a very intimate manner and just start fear-mongering and just start trying to answer the questions that they've had anxieties for about their children or maybe their students for decades or years. And they just, fill their mind with garbage, essentially, and just fuel the fire to make them also scared of their, you know, ideology and gender ideology or whatever the heck that is. Um, which really, and just reaffirms the fact that these people, they only get a lot of individuals because they're in closed quiet spaces where they're not held accountable to these actions. I know so many teachers, um, unfortunately, and professors who come to, come to work one day and they're all pippy and cheery, but then at home, maybe they're, you know, like alt-right or maybe they're, you know, extremely conservative and they're very much acting in their private life different from the way that they act in their public. And they're acting against what they do in the public. Um, so it's very, it's very troublesome.
5: It's a really good point, Isaac, because you're talking a lot there too about the implicit kind of assumptions underlying and how sneaky uh discrimination can be of all types mm-hmm. and how uh, like historically it's the same thing over and over find a group of people to hate find a way to try to dismantle their values and use fear to get there uh, another you could draw uh, parallels as well to like the anti-vax movement right so um, and it causes a lot of harm too yeah. Well, and
3: there, there was one thing in the, in one line in the email that, you know, forgetting the conversion therapy in trans and transient gay children. But right after that, it said, we encourage a critical approach to gender stereotypes present in society through roles, clothing, hairstyles and behavior. You know, and all I kept thinking you know, was, I'm sorry, are you going to go to race and religion next? And, you know, what if you looked at this letter and it was written about, Uh, you know, not about transgender people, but about Black people. This would take on probably an entirely different dimension at that stage because, you know, it's still not going to be right at all. But...
5: Well, I found it was very... There was a lot of whiteness and privilege in that email. And I... I thought of, uh, you know, the black community too, and our transgender brothers and sisters in the black community, in our, um, indigenous communities. And I was like, what is the standard? I'm pretty sure it's going to be ultra white. Yeah. And it sounded very white.
3: And I, I was, I was almost thinking at the stage of, you know, at what point can you charge someone with inciting hatred and would it happen with something like this if it had a different twist on it? And That's- a different target of people, right? That is key
0: here, Kathy. I think absolutely, and um, and goes to sort of my next question because I'm curious, like what how you feel the um, the Nova Scotia Teachers Union and how the early um, childhood education system here in the province like should react. We did have a response yesterday to teachers from Elwyn Larue, um, director of uh, the HRCE here in the Halifax area, um, and I think you might have had a chance to read that yourself Megan um, and you know it was a very it was it was a it was a quick response which was great um, but there was there were pieces missing um, certainly that that could have been a little bit more intentional as to why it would be so harmful um, and what are your thoughts around so conversion therapy is banned here in Nova Scotia is this not kind of an element of conversion therapy in that you're trying to uh convert parents from being able to accept and and love their children um through having that fear that there's something wrong with being, you know, gender expansive or your sexual orientation, um, not being heteronormative. So like it, could that not fall under a, like a level of conversion therapy?
5: <laughs> what do you think, Tristan?
4: I definitely think so. Um, you know, when you think about conversion therapy, you think about, um, a system that is designed to appeal to what, uh, what people fear the most. And that's the unknown. They don't know about what these lived experiences are and they gravitate in, in just, it's natural to, uh, as humans, to gravitate towards what seems like the easier answer. Right. And so, you know, sometimes the answer that you'll hear from these groups, it sounds like an easy answer and like, OK, you know, this really goes against what I've grown up and learned with uh, if, through my life. And you, you tend to go with it and you don't know the harm that um that can come from it, and when you begin to understand the harm and understand the stats, you know that uh, really speak to that harm. Then it becomes undeniable at that point. When you become aware of the facts and you act against it, that is a form of hate. That's a form of conversion therapy. That's a form of discrimination. You know, in 2019, uh, the federal um, the federal government came out with a, a an LGBTQ to health in Canada study that a lot of our P chapters were a part of, and uh, you know one of those uh, one of the um, pieces of data that was gathered from it was 4.3 percent of the general population tend to have some sort of form of suicidal ideation at some point in their lives, but for the trans population, it's 41 percent. And when you hear that statistic, you got to know that. There needs to be some sort of intervention there in terms of uh, education, in terms of social programs, in terms of uh, um, where we are with supporting trans folks through the, the healthcare care system, uh, through all provinces and, um, and territories and uh when you become familiar with those stats that's when you it becomes undeniable that you need to help these individuals and create a system of safety for them and This is you know it, and those are the type of stats that groups like tragic and other groups just don't want you to hear because uh it becomes that much more difficult to argue against scientific facts. And that's exactly what they, you know, want to lean away from. They want to go, they want to teach from their own perspective and from their own lived experience and not from the shared facts that we all live uh, through with society.
0: So Tristan, did you say, so it's 40% and then 8% of, say, cisgender children, is that right? The 40 and the Um, 8? 4.3%
4: of the general population would have some form of suicidal ideation, according to the 2019 study, and 41% of trans respondents.
0: Okay. And then it's worth noting that if, uh, your child, if your gender expansive trans child comes from a loving and accepting home, if they have one person in their corner, that statistic reverts right back down to the lower statistic, um, which right. is in line with all cisgender kids. So it's about having that, that person in your corner. And if you're trying to, you know, in doctrine, the education system and parents to not support your child and to try to convert them to gender normative or heteronormative behavior because you're afraid, then that's, you know, that's exactly where those high stats are coming. So it's not that the children have mental health uh, challenges on their own. It's that they're not being supported to bring in line uh, uh, the support that they need. Uh, being transgender. And I think that's important too, because a lot of times there's that, well, you know, because you're trans, you're having these mental health challenges that's why you're anxious depressed and suicidal but it's no that's not it whatsoever it's because you're not being accepted you're not being heard um you're not being represented or visible so
4: you're constantly you're constantly living in a community in a society that tells you that you need to be in a certain you need to live a certain way but you don't feel that way inside and it's um you know that's what's tragic uh it, it, groups like this uh, you know they uh, part of their letter talked about um, you know they believe in the binary from birth but even at birth there are there have been studies that shown um that uh, human sex and uh that we know it is not based in a binary you know there are other uh, Aspects uh, um, of our home of our hormones, uh, not just physically and what we see at birth, but um, internally and what's happening and what happens through puberty that, that further defines sex and then how we see ourselves through gender through our social construct of it and uh, it, just the fact that they that these are teachers that are rejecting science or perhaps they don't know about the science, but you know we're here to educate and uh, it, once they know it, then they have a choice. They're the ones who have the choice to say uh, and how they act uh, with that knowledge moving forward. And when they decide to not to act and moving forward uh, with that knowledge and act appropriately, then it's discrimination and it's a failure to do their job and, uh, and they're failing our students.
5: Yeah. And uh, like to add to the statistics, so expanding upon the fact that we know that transgender youth that are supported uh, to be themselves uh, are just as psychologically healthy as their peers, uh, yet in the Trans Youth Health Survey, 40% of trans youth in the Atlantic provinces specifically, uh, ages 14 to 18, had attempted suicide at least once, and 60% had seriously considered suicide in the past 12 months. And that's devastating. That's a 2018 statistic. And that was a cross-Canada study. We also scored the lowest on um the one of the known protective factors, which was uh, feeling connected to your school, unfortunately. Um, so I,
3: I can tell you right now that our family's in that statistic, Megan. And if the education system was set up the way that this email wants people set it up and the teachers are not allowed to do things, I can tell you right now I would have two boys alive and one not if that were the case with my family. And I'm telling you that a hundred percent right now, if the staff and the teachers and the principals and the people who supported him were not there, he would not be alive today.
0: And and that's just not okay. Like, it's just not, it's not, it's such a balance on that support. And so like, firstly, then pa- parents should not be allowed to be, you know, to have their children exempt um, and opt out of, days that are around, um, you know, pride celebrations or education around gender identity and sexual orientation. Um, And teachers shouldn't have to, schools shouldn't have to send home a calendar to parents saying, well, these are the days we're going to be talking about it. So if you want to keep your kid home, like that just shouldn't be an option. And those are the kind of, I think, accountability uh, factors that need to be built into the policies here in Nova Scotia. They just need to be hard that I'm sorry, if you're away, you're not exempt and, Uh, there's, you know, there will be a reflection of of that in somehow, because you don't get to opt out for the month of, um, you know, Canadian African Heritage Month. And you shouldn't, like, this is all a part of our culture. And and like Megan said to me earlier, that, you know, we're on the wave of a a cultural revolution in the sense of we're becoming awakening to a lot of oppression that has happened um, across Canada. And, you know, policies like this like when you said the the sports uh the element of the language around sports i think in the email like that's trickling up over the states we just had yesterday in texas finally they were able to um it was announced that um those bills against trans girls being able to participate in sports and trans youth being able to or transgender people being able to receive medical care, um, they were voted down, which was great. But it took a huge amount of uprising and um, advocacy um, from the human rights uh, commission, uh, the Human Rights Campaign, and parents of trans youth down there, like Amber Briggle, who is very vocal. Um, and when you see that trickling up over the border here into Canada, it's scary. Like, you realize what a fine line we're walking um,
5: with our rights and our freedoms. I don't know if it's trickling or if it's just always been here and it hasn't been dealt with. I think uh, when you're talking about, you know, Black History Month and, and things too, I think it's important to remember that there's LGBTQ IA plus people in all histories <laughs> across the board. And so they should be celebrated during those months as well. And there's, you know, multiple and people have multiple intersecting identities. And we have to think about intersectionality more now. I don't think we talk about intersectionality enough. And we have to celebrate more of that diversity within the trans community as well. And I've seen some really fantastic uh work um in the in the black trans community recently and hearing really great things on cbc radio and uh yeah i think it's really exciting i think and one thing that you talked about there uh with teachers is first i want to preface this with like all the teachers that i know were devastated by that email um you know it I'm a nurse, right? And so, like, we're a huge body of professionals, and I cannot say that every nurse is uh, um, educated about gender. I can't say that, and I know that not every nurse is, and I know that that's teachers too, and that there's not, there's lots of uh, within professions, there's lots of people that are not allies, and that cause harm all the time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what I do look at though is, are they even being given the tools? Like I learned a lot about gender identity through the work that I do, uh, at the IBK because I'm a pediatric nurse and I need to know these things and that's my competency. But when, in a 2015 survey that Nova Scotia Teachers Union, uh, did, less than half of the teachers felt that they had the tools, uh, to even talk about mm-hmm. gender inclusion and diversity. So we're failing them. So even our allies, which the vast majority I think would classify themselves as allies within the teacher community, need—they don't have the tools. Are, you know, some of them are. Some people are afraid to talk about that, and I've seen uh, talk about gender at all um, because they're afraid to say the wrong thing. And you know, to those folks, I say, I'd rather you say the wrong thing than not talk about it at all. First of all, uh, but second of all, you know, speak up and, and ask for some education. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, you know, I know in the in the case of at least one teacher, they had to compete with other agenda items on professional development days. Well, you shouldn't have to compete with other agenda items. It should just be mandatory. Everyone should have gender diversity and inclusion uh, education and understand it. Yeah.
1: It definitely needs to be. and I think it's so problematic because it's something that you have to do secondary to what you're doing on a day to day basis. Um, like you have to learn, like as a teacher, you got to learn science. You got to learn math. You got to learn history. You got to learn those things. You got to learn what you're going to teach students, but you don't learn what to do if a student approaches you and says, Hey, I think I'm trans or at worst case scenario, a child approaches you and says that they're suicidal. Like how, how do you learn how to do that? And it's exactly your point. Like these teachers are being set up for failure and for someone to come into these spaces and continue to kind of like muddle things around and just create more conspiracies about like who our students are, who we are as a community is, is heartbreaking. And it's, it's as a trans person myself, I think one of the most difficult parts is that there's always an expectation And the exact same thing goes when it comes to, you know, BIPOC issues, too, is that there's an expectation that the community, and I'll say a vested interest, because everyone here clearly has a vested interest. We're all either, you know, LGBTQ ourselves or are related to LGBTQ individuals or deeply care about someone who is LGBTQ, that it's expected that we're supposed to be the individuals doing the education on this. We're supposed to be the individuals intervening when these things happen. We're supposed to be individuals who are called upon in the off chance that one child in a classroom comes out as trance. That should not be my job. My no. job should be living my authentic life and doing what I do on a daily basis. Um, I shouldn't have to be called into every bloody classroom when a child comes at his trans, because a lot of times they don't need that intervention if they have it already. And if you have the support systems in place, you know, I don't want to say I'm not needed because of course there's places where I'm needed, but I, it sh- shouldn't be an expectation for the community to
2: do that.
0: I was thinking about this this week because I had to go to the IWK with my son, but when I, when he first transitioned, so as a parent and a loving and supportive parent, I was still on a journey of, of, Of digesting knowledge and information and then also learning new pronouns and and getting used to the new name and not messing things up. And I had all of that. And every time we went somewhere, though, where we had to give a name or something like that, I remember being terrified. Like I couldn't, I'd be sweating, my stomach would be upset because I was so worried that my kid would be standing here beside me and they were going to mess up. They were going to say something hurtful. They were going to misgender him. They were going to do something. And I wanted to protect him so much because every adult that we came across had no idea about gender identity. We didn't come across one person that went, Oh, okay. Yeah, of course. Wow. That's amazing. You know, it was always like, how do they know? Isn't he too young? Um, and so this week at the IWK, we had to go and get an x-ray and, and you know that they're just amazing there, but, The recce had said, you know, transgender male and needs this or whatever. And I remember just handing it over and there's two people there and, you know, they just didn't miss a beat. And I felt relaxed and I thought and I acknowledged that guy actually sat back and went, wow, I'm feeling relaxed. Finally, it's been four years, but I'm finally feeling like it's okay. and you can't hurt me, but you can't hurt him because he knows that I have his back and you know, we'll flip it quick enough. And, but it's, it's awful, isn't it? As a parent, you know, you want to shelter your kids from
5: these, this, from this kind of hate, from these type of groups. Well, if you have ever seen that pain in their face when they're misgendered, or mm-hmm. that shock of uh, when somebody says, uh, when you used to be, uh, you know, insert whatever gender. Mm-hmm. Um, or you want to, uh- when you used to be a boy or whatever, uh, you know, their breeze face, just it's shock. And, um, and then she adjusts herself and she teaches them. Well, actually, I was always a girl. Uh, you know, I, we just didn't, my family just didn't realize that before. So you have to build resiliency within your transgender child because they're going to face adversity probably their whole lives. Um, uh, But as we know, they can be just as psychologically healthy as everyone else, um, as their peers. So we talk a lot about those things openly and honestly in our house. And my child's only eight. And we talk about racism. And we talk about lots of topics that are hard topics to talk about. Hiding from a topic that you don't want to talk about doesn't stop those things from happening. You need to have the education and the knowledge and the language to be able to talk about things out loud because these are challenges that children in Nova Scotia and youth are facing and across the country and across the world. So,
1: I just want to jump in there really quickly. Um, Exactly your point that if you don't talk about it, someone else will. And I can guarantee when someone else talks about it, it's not going to be the way you want them to hear it. So it's better for you to address it, regardless of what it is, whether it be race, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, anything like that. It's better for you as a parent and as like a caregiver to have those conversations, no matter how tough they are, as soon as they start to arise and not expect another individual to do it.
5: Um, if you have discomfort, if you're uncomfortable that means that you don't have the right amount of knowledge and it's up to you to go get it somewhere. And as far as entire systems go, we should be setting up our teachers for success. They shouldn't feel uncomfortable having these conversations. They shouldn't feel like there's going to be repercussions. They shouldn't be afraid that they're going to indoctrinate children into becoming gay or transgender. Like, no, they need to, they need the tools. And that's up to uh the government and education boards to, or ed- centers of education now, we call them, uh, to figure that out. That shouldn't be up to us. So, and when you talked about the uh, email response there, you mentioned it earlier from HRCE, from the superintendent. I think it was, you know, I was happy to see a response, first of all, there was a good, there was a response and there was a lot of quoting of, you know, uh, human rights for transgender people because they're humans as well. So they deserve the rights as the rest of us kind of, you know, no brainer. Uh, there is a lot of uh, that kind of stuff, but what I see missing, I guess is like, where's the conversation that we're having today about the the harm that that could actually cause. So specifically what harm is it that we're trying to reduce here? We're trying to mitigate the risk of uh, teachers buying what this person's trying to sell them. And it's a risk. Anybody can be, you know, um, if they don't have the education can be vulnerable to believing something that's untrue. There's lots of smart people out there that are highly educated, and very discriminatory, because they do not, either they choose not to know, or they don't know, or they don't understand.
3: Yeah, what I would have liked to see in that email was action steps they were actually going to maybe take and do. Um, You know, it was to those who flagged the email, if you want to talk to someone, here's some supports. Okay, so, but where's the action that maybe you're going to have a discussion or start a conversation with the staff and get talking about what this could have done and the repercussions of it. And, you know, get very clear about, you know, it's not just if you flag the email and want to talk, but, That we need to talk about this so we're going to do something and have a PD day or have something specific or get something going, some actual action versus just, if you need help, call us.
5: And don't forget, Kathy, we have a new liberal cabinet sitting here in Nova Scotia right now that has promised a heavy uh, inclusion and diversity agenda. And so... I want to know, too, is that just talk or are we going to see action in areas of transgender rights in the next over the next, you know, weeks, months, years? We're coming up very quickly to the anniversary uh, since Human Rights Act in Nova Scotia was amended to uh, include protections for transgender people. And so I think that's a great time to start uh, some of those actions that you're talking about and the first i'd start with is mandatory education for all teachers on gender inclusion and diversity and then go from there
3: yeah son alex did a pd day in his school when he was 17 and he did very much um, exercises on the spots for the teachers and one of the ones that got the most comments back, like I heard from a lot of the staff, they had reached out to me after he did it because it was he put them in their sho- in his shoes basically is what a lot of it was about. And it was the simple one of the names, right? Um, they were calling a name off the list that was not the preferred name that was there but the legal name. And some people just don't realize simple situations like that can, can really derail somebody and, and, you know, make them question everything about themselves. And I mean, that's the kind of stuff I'd love to see happening more action like that, where, you know, it's not just a lesson. It's not just a PowerPoint. It's not just, you should do this, but some real life uh, lessons from people. Yeah.
5: Like the, uh positive spaces program at scene effects. I've been talking with Joanne Tompkins there and they do uh, wonderful work about intersecting identities there and uh, so their teachers are coming out of school already educated, which is where we need to be, but that, uh, you know, varies across uh, universities in Canada so and the problem is that we're post-licensure right now for most of the teachers that are out there and those teachers need education as well until we get caught up to the point that people are everybody coming out has that education right off the bat but updating updating your education and continuing competency that's that's a normal part of being in a profession anyway yeah. So I'd like to see more of those positive spaces type programs expanded uh, within universities and then lots of post licensure ideas. And like you said, the workshops are fun. They're interactive. Lots of teachers are actively seeking to have these workshops. They want them and uh, they want the language. They want the tools. That's the vast majority of people. Um, they don't know. And, and then there's others that don't really understand, you know, what what it's like, uh, what the adversity is or what types of issues children are facing and then there's there's people that don't want to know anything and you know my uh my mom would call them ignorant so i just ignore those people you can't change their minds and forget about them
0: No, but I mean, it is a responsibility if you're going to be teaching in the province and and anywhere here in Canada that, you know, the human rights code and, you know, and understand that, you know, gender identity and expression, it's a protected human right. It's in the criminal code. And, you know, here's how you can make sure that your spaces are safer. But and one quick example too was I when uh, in the first year after uh, my son transitioned it was grade six, and it, we probably were a couple of report cards in, but a report card came home and a couple of subjects he was completely misgendered in. Now because he had transitioned and um, was supported, um, he had been having a great year. Like. Four his marks were coming up. He was enjoying, like he was, he was just doing great. So he was so proud of this report card that he hopped up on the bed and he's like, let's read it together. And we were reading it. And all of a sudden our eyes came to that the same point where they had, she, she did this and she's very good at that. And I just like, you know, that flipping of your stomach. And I looked over and he was seeing it too. And I was just like, Oh, like it just ruined the whole moment. That moment was gone. And and it affected him and it was you know it was heartbreaking but for teachers to understand like you need to get that stuff right and it's a matter of just proofreading your work you know
5: and like i don't I'm less worried about you making a mistake whenever you do have the education and you realize you've made a mistake and then you fix the mistake and we move on and, and nobody spends any time trying to make you feel better about the mistake that you made but <laughs> when you make the mistake cuz you don't have the education you don't understand and you're you're not even trying that's a major problem it's unacceptable
4: I was going to say, I think it's also up to educators, uh, no matter where you are in the country, to realize what resources you're missing and just start the talk of even collaborating with other provinces or other boards that who have those resources. Uh, recently, in a CBC article, Yukon Territory was called out for being just a, just having an incredible program overall in supporting trans youth, and uh, and we're okay here in Ontario here as well. But if you don't have the resources, you know, you like especially in teaching, you have got tens or hundreds of thousands of other professionals in the country and other boards as your fellow resource. And sometimes I think we often think that, you know, though lived experiences are different across the country, you know, geographically, that, you know, when it comes to um, these issues of trans lived experiences, of queer lived experiences, uh, you know, the, the source of, uh, and uh, other lived experiences as well with race and, and other items, um, that the, the source of, uh, you know, of our discrimination of these challenging lived experiences are often the same and it's just down to just not having the the right tools in our toolbox and so you know sometimes you got to borrow a screwdriver from a neighbor and uh it you know how do we get those behaviors back into our professional um sectors like that the once. tools
5: are totally available uh, and we know that there's lots of programs out there there's lots of things that we can partake in uh, but nobody in the like in the, they don't have time it's not Forced upon them to make time and it's not mandatory. So you have, you have policy and procedure. It's only good as the paper it's written on if you can operationalize it appropriately and translate knowledge into practice. And that's something that, you know, is highly studied too. How do you translate knowledge into practice? So you have to look at what's actually happening on the ground and what tools do teachers need? And uh, you know, make it so that they can have the tools that they need be, by giving them time and resourcing those things. If you don't make it mandatory, then it's not going to be resourced. and the people that need it the most aren't going to get it. So like we have we do have a policy here uh, for supporting um, I think it's called supporting transgender and gender nonconforming students in Nova Scotia or something, the policy. And it's a lovely policy, but it lacks the how-to. How do you do this? Okay, so, uh, you know, it even includes talking about uh, how you can challenge gender normativity just when you're reading a book with some children. You can be like, oh, all the... Girls in this book wear dresses. Do all girls wear dresses? Just ask them questions. It makes them think. It's really good for their brains. It's challenging gender stereotypes is good for all of us. You know, everybody is harmed by gender stereotypes and not understanding uh, gender as a spectrum. So yeah, how do you do it? And I think that's a top down issue. You have to order things like that from the top down. And you have to have multi-level leadership uh cooperation. And there's lots of LGBTQ uh, two plus people working in the teaching and education professions. So let's recognize those those folks too and the work that they're trying to do. There are a lot of allies out there on the front line trying to advocate uh whether they should have to do that or not. They're out there doing it and working hard. We have a lot of allies in the teaching profession that want the knowledge, want the education, so give it to them, but make it mandatory so that they can get there because they, you know, shouldn't have to compete with other agenda items to get it on the professional development day. And the other thing I'd like to say is that my child is super healthy, thriving, happier than she's ever been. And there's nothing wrong with my child. Being transgender is not a problem. Stop problematizing people's bodies. Well
0: said, one. applauding. You can't, if you can't see us, if you're on Spotify and you can't see us, we are all
3: applauding right now. I guess I would say too, as a, as a parting note, um, I'm always looking forward to the day. I don't know when it will ever come up or show up when people talking about transitioning doesn't have to happen because it's just the way it is. And turning the tables, you know, it's a, it's always the hardest thing that I have about trying to make people understand, you know, how, how did he know, how, how did this happen? And I reply back, well, how do you know that you're heterosexual, you know? And it's a hard, like, people don't know what to say when I ask that question, but I wish we could get to a place beyond that. And, and frankly, beyond gender and into race and cultures and languages, age, like everywhere. But, um, I know it's going to take work and I would say just stop the fear. You know, I've had people talk to me about the bathroom issue and things. (laughs) Frankly, if you think people are transitioning to become a transgender person so they can get in the other washroom and harm your daughters, like, give me a break. You know, it's, this is, you know, it's, it's not easy to be a transgender person and the challenges that come with it, the fear, the, just Trust me, they
5: feel more vulnerable than you do
3: they do they're a thousand times more vulnerable than you do and just leave the fear out of it and get over it they're people too and they just deserve love and acceptance like everybody else
4: uh whenever we get into discussions like this and especially with uh you know groups that have really started this off um like tragic i think of i think of the metaphor of poker and i think of You know, um, at the end, at the end of your game or at the end of your hand, you got to show your cards. And 100 percent of the time when groups like these have to show their cards, all they got is a two high. They got nothing else. And we're the ones who have the facts and the knowledge and the lived experience behind us who have that royal flush. And we're going to win every single time. All you got to do is show your cards and ask these groups to show their cards. And they're going to have nothing to back it up.
5: If you spent five minutes with my daughter, your mind would be changed. If you saw her face the first time that we picked out some clothes at Valley Village, that look in her face of pure joy. When I tell that to parents, they understand what I'm talking about. And it has, I think, helped a lot of parents understand just when you know, you know. And when a parent sees that in their child, they know, too. And it's an unspoken, natural, um, comfortable, happy, joyful, celebratory moment when your child Uh, is able to tell you, uh, I know who I am. This is who I am. And I'm happy to be me.
3: Yeah. We had a lot of comments after Alex transitioned that the light came back into his eyes because for about six years, it wasn't there. And we had, I remember we had a big family reunion. There was 90 of us. And a lot of people saw him hiding, not coming out very much. And you know, we sent a picture out with a family letter when we told everyone what was going on. And that was the biggest comment that I got back was there's, there's that light back in his eyes. And, you know, as a parent, that's what hits you. We got the same
5: comment from, uh. And we'll hear from Madame uh, Kelsey Miles there in a moment, but she had the same comment about Brie.
0: You can't wish for more for your children as a parent. And that all gets- you
5: want is for them to thrive. That's all you want. That's your whole job is for them to thrive. So really, <laughs> you don't have a lot of control and as a parent. You gotta. You, they drive the ship, right? It's their life. So you just gotta come along for the ride and open all the doors that you can to help them make it comfortable and enjoyable fun
0: well thank you thank you so much megan kathy and tristan for yes thank you that this has been it's been so good to talk about this and i hope people will 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 tune in and listen um and we'll we'll uh we'll continue the conversation because that's right when the more you talk about it
3: it's not uncomfortable it's important
5: absolutely thanks for having us
4: yep thank you
3: Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity to share and learn from the others here, too, as well.
1: Before we hear from Kelsey Miles, a Nova Scotia primary and grade one teacher who we heard briefly from at the beginning of this episode, I would like to take a moment to share a message from Joanne Tompkins, she, her, who is a professor in the Faculty of Education at St. Francis Xavier University in Antigonish. Joanne writes, for the last decade, three faculty members, Dr. Jennifer Mitten, Dr. Laura Lee Kearns, and Dr. Joanne Tompkins, have been researching the impact of positive space training on Bachelor of Education BED teachers when they are in their practicum experiences and when they are starting out in the profession. We have written many articles on this subject, and they have been published in the journals across the country. In 2019, because of the work we have been doing to make this education required for all new teachers, we were invited to participate in the National Symposium on LGBTQ Education within Teacher Education at the University of British Columbia. What we have learned from our research is, to quote Maya Angelou, when people know better, they do better. When they understand the impact a single teacher can make in a student's experience in school, and when they have learned some strategies to both interrupt oppression and create more representation of LGBTQ plus presence in schools, they then have the courage and confidence to be an advocate and an ally. Our research also reminds us of the important role of the principal in supporting beginning teachers who want to enact social justice education. When principals send clear signals that LGBTQ plus education is for all students at all levels of schooling, individual teachers feel more empowered to do this type of work. We would support any recommendation to make sure that all BED programs make this training a mandatory part of programs in the province. We would support recommendations to ensure that principals engage in in, in in-depth professional development on this topic. Also, in-service teachers, teachers who have been teaching for several years, need continuous access and updated information and awareness of what the research is telling us about how to ensure that we are affirming sexual orientation and gender identity of all of our students. In regards to the email that was circulating this week about the organization Tragic, we know that there is opposition and backlash occurring to the very work that Positive Space is doing. We urge the Nova Scotia Department of Education to reaffirm to the public that education about sex and gender minority students can be assured that their identities will be affirmed and that schools will be a safe place for this. The department should also enter into discussions through the Minister's Council on Teacher Education with teacher education institutes in the province to make education on this topic mandatory. I believe the NSTU, through its Equity Chamber, has shown continued leadership in this area and I would hope the NSTU would be a part of any discussions about this topic. As researchers and teacher educators with experience and commitment to this issue we'd be happy to share our learnings with anyone everyone. Just a very quick thank you to Joanne for sending us that message. I think it's it's very clear the support from all sides from parents from educators from teachers everyone in the province that this is this is unacceptable and the fact that we're having to have these discussions in the year of 2021 I think is very Alarming, but we have to put an end to it. We also have a quick reflection from Maggie, who is also a teacher in Nova Scotia.
6: When I first read the email, my first reaction was shock and disgust, followed by anger that it made it through our schools and school boards' spam filters, because the content was so disgusting and, and vile. It was very upsetting. Uh, So I didn't even make it through the whole email to tell the truth. I had to shut it. I couldn't even read it. Uh, Later in the day, um, on the advice of someone else, I went back and read the entire content, which was, again, probably even more upsetting. And once I reflected on it, I guess my question is, why don't you believe these people, the content of the email says, we believe that gender is binary. And I guess I can understand that to some extent that people would believe that if you live a life where you feel the gender that you were assigned at birth and that you you fit into the, the norm and the box and everything's easy and people don't ever question you or your judgment and they're, you're not having to prove yourself and defend yourself and you're not persecuted against. I, I can see how you might feel that there's only two because your life and your reality is that there are two. However, what I don't understand is when people are telling you that there's other options that maybe you haven't experienced, why don't you believe them? When someone comes to you and says, I was have the wrong gender, was assigned the wrong gender, why do you not believe those people? Why don't you believe their feelings and their experience? Because it seems to me, even though you don't live that experience and you can't fully understand it when someone tells you that you believe their truth I just believe people's truth and what they tell me I have no reason not to and this isn't something people are going to lie about for no reason it doesn't benefit them in any way if anything it makes portions of their life harder because people are going to judge them and persecute them and mock them and bully them and call them out and all of these horrible things that this email reflects are happening so why people say there's only two when there are floods of people in fact telling you no there are more Um, I just don't get why people don't believe them I I believe people's truth when they tell me that and I don't understand why everyone doesn't
1: and with that let's hear from kelsey miles kelsey miles is a great primary and one french immersion teacher within the halifax regional school center for education she has 10 years teaching experience both within halifax and abroad and international schools kelsey has been involved in simply good forms inclusive reading program for two years now she's an educator who strives to ensure an inclusive learning environment in which all students feel accepted safe and valued
2: hello my name is kelsey um, I just wanted to, I guess, share a teacher's perspective on the email that we received this week. Uh, I opened it up, not really quite comprehending what I was reading. Um, we do get spam come in. So my first thought was maybe it was that, but the first line really caught my attention um, where it said, addressing all Canadian teachers. Um, So I continued to read on and as I read, I just became more and more infuriated that somebody in our profession could so blatantly go against human rights. Um, Honestly, it kind of brings me to tears because I think there are a lot of people out there um, and educators that want to make inclusive classrooms and help create happy children. Um, And so to show that kind of hatred and transphobia and without realizing the damage it could do not only to the kids but also by sending it to a community um that is trying to make positive change i think the harm and the damage it can do is just um kind of beyond comprehension and makes me quite emotional to be honest um i think that you know, when you become a teacher that you want to, um, make all right in the world and make positive change. And that just is everything that is wrong. So reading that I think was just really, really painful. Um, and just made me really feel for the trans community. So I know that as classroom teachers, we, we really have the power to make an inclusive classroom for, trans individuals and our trans students, Um, and I I hope that, um, if anything, that email will show other educators exactly why it needs to become a part of our curriculum, um, and that we do need to be teaching about gender from a very early age so that uh, people do not grow up with these kinds of extreme misconceptions, is, is putting it lightly. I also just really want to thank um, Cindy and some other contacts that I passed email on um, to that uh, for kind of taking it further, um, for talking about it on this podcast and for bringing our attention to the matter. Um, I talked to a lot of other staff members and um, I think it's important to talk about these things openly, not just a, a click and delete kind of thing. We need to acknowledge the danger and harm it could cause. Um, and while it was quite sickening and, and to read, uh, the conversations need to happen so that, again, we can understand um, why education surrounding uh, gender identity is just so important. I just wanted to address specific one specific element of the email where the author states that she's very concerned about the pressure to teach content regarding gender ideology. She believes it to be harmful form of indoctrination and completely inappropriate for children. Um, As a grade primary one teacher, um, these conversations are coming up consistently throughout the year and authentically with children anyway. It's our job to create that safe space where students can discuss how they feel, um, and know that they will be accepted with both their teacher and their classmates. Um, so when it comes to gender identity and, you know, we have pink shirt day, it automatically comes up about boy versus girl colors that translates easily to toys and hairstyles and then clothing. So, um, it's, very appropriate conversations, which children understand completely, that the way we present ourselves to the world, we want that to match our label and our insides in a very child-friendly way. So I just want to say that I feel no such pressure. Um, I know that many other educators feel no such pressure to teach content um, on gender identity because It's there in the curriculum as part of um, accepting one another and who we are and exploring what that means to each of us.
0: Well, that's all the time we have today, folks. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Hey Sis.
1: If you have any questions you want to ask or want to join in on the conversation, email us at connect at simplygoodform.com.
0: Thank you all. And remember, inclusion matters.